Well, let's pray. Father God, I just want to tell you thank you so much, God, for being so good. God, sometimes it's, it's easy to overlook how good you are. It's easy, God, to, to forget how good you not just have been, but how good you are, God. Sometimes in the, in the darkness of times, God, I know. I, I, I've done it myself, God. I have asked the question, where are you at? Do, do you hear me? Are you anywheres? Can you hear my? Do you care, God? I, I've asked those questions, God, and Lord, I know there's so many families right now, Father, that's in that spot. I don't, I don't know if their faith is as small as mine. I don't know if they ask those kind of questions, but I do know that even in the times that I've asked those questions, you've always shown me that you were right there. You've always shown me that you were holding me up, and you were in the midst of it. And you had everything under control, and God, and, and the things didn't necessarily have to make sense to me. I just had to hold on to you, God. And Lord, there's some families right now. We'll lift them up, Father, and ask you, you know, the needs, God, and how, how the devil uses different people to attack families and attack individuals, God. Lord, I pray you'd put a hedge about these families. I pray you'd touch the sick. And God, I pray, Father, you would you would intervene in, Lord, in, in situations, God, and a couple of family situations that just right off the top of my head, God, that, that need intervention in, in the family situations, God, and Lord, we just know that you can, Father. I thank you that you allow us to come to you and, and pray and, and seek your face, God. Lord, I thank you for this book. I thank you for your word. I pray, God, would you teach it to us tonight, Lord. I pray you give us strength and wisdom and guidance. And Lord, I pray you give grace. We love you. We trust you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, one of my left out, it was the very first name on my list, and I was going to come back to it, and I forgot. But Hunter Hutchins, um, you certainly need to remember Hunter and... Jonathan and Julie, I said, I had it, I had it at the top of my list, I was going to get back up to it, and forgot to go back up there, but um, it's just an urgent need, um, there, there's, so, there's so many things from the swelling on the brain that needs to go down to some function of the brain that needs to come back, and now there's fluid on the brain that needs to go out, and, and you know, you, they, they'll get one bright spot and then eight dark spots. You know, they, they've been in the hospital room for weeks now. Um, only been home one at a time. They've not left that room. One of them's always in there, but just to make a trip home for a couple of days, get a couple of things done, each one of them has, has been home once. I think Jonathan's been home twice, but um, need, need to pray for them, for grace, that God continue to, to hold them up um, and pray. For Hunter, there is the possibility, and I'm, I'm just putting this out there because I believe in praying specific. You guys know that. There is a possibility that um, in the next day or two, he may get transferred out of the hospital there in Panama City to the Shepherd Center in Atlanta. There's really not a lot more they can do down there. I mean, the swelling's got to go down in the brain. It's going to do what it's going to do. But it needs some training. It needs some help. It needs some therapy in the Shepherd Center. So he's the perfect candidate, and they think they can help. And then once the swelling's gone back down, they can take him next door, put the skull plate back in and, and those things. So I, I think it's a little bit of excitement for Jonathan and Julie to, to maybe be able to get back to Atlanta, get a little bit closer to home, but to take another step. I mean, right now, it's the same thing day in and day out. It's, it's, it's hoping to see one positive movement. You know, it's hoping to see one something that you that was better than what you saw yesterday or a response to a, a command response, they call them. So they do think the therapy will start progressing things. So I'm, I'd ask you, I'd ask you to, to, to pray. 
earnestly. If it, if it was mine, I, I, I know I'd, I'd sure be wanting you guys praying. So, um, and, and, and Brother Terry Aldridge also, I, I meant to mention him earlier. Remember to keep praying for Brother Terry and um, for his eyes. It's his eyes and it's Miss Phyllis's ears and um, it's like both of her eardrums have burst and of course, y'all know he talked about last week. He hung his pinky toe on the door and about about tore it off, and bunches like bananas, right? <laughs> yeah, come, come. So certainly continue to pray for them. Well, if I don't get started, we sure ain't gonna get nothing accomplished. Do we have a clock up there? I think I might. Acts chapter twenty-six. So last week we left off, and Paul's been giving his testimony to Governor Felix. Uh, he, he shares the he shares the gospel. He has spelled out what his life was like before Christ when he was Saul. He's told him who he was and everything that he used to do. He told him about the vision on the road to Damascus, all that happened there. And 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 he and he, he talks about who Christ is and, and how he came in the light. And he, he said what we left off in verse number 19 was he said, Whereupon, O King Grippa, I was not disobedient. Unto the heavenly vision. So he's, he's told them the vision. He's told them who he was. And, and, and that I saw Christ. And Christ gave me a new life. A new commandment. And, and now I'm here. And here's what I'm doing. I'm being obedient to what this heavenly vision called me to do. So Paul in, in this statement here to Agrippa. In, in, my, in one of my study books. It says that this is a figure of speech. It comes from a word that means demeaning. Or it is a deliberate understatement. It is the lessening or the decreasing of something. In order to increase its intensity. When he says wherefore I, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. That's an understatement. I, I was not disobedient. In other words Paul gave his life completely to the heavenly vision. When Paul got saved. Paul got it. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody know some folks that when they got saved, they got it. Everything changed. Matter of fact, I, I'm a little leery of those that say they got saved and nothing changed. You know my opinion on that. If nothing changed on the outside, I have a hard time believing anything changed on the inside. Uh, because it starts in, in the core. But, but Paul got it. Paul understood. Paul had a, a clear picture of the vision and everything changed. And now he, he is just as, as zealous, just as, as eager, just as on fire to preach the gospel as five minutes ago he was to stamp out the gospel. I, I mean, he, he, didn't, he didn't stop and change gears. He took the same wide open gear. He just changed directions. He just did a U-turn instead of trying to stamp it out. He started spreading. He said, I, I wasn't disobedient to the vision. I didn't pass it off like it was just a mirage in the heat of the day and, and I got too hot and it was the blinding light. Matter of fact, he said it was, it was noonday and this light was so much brighter than the sun. And he, he said, I, I didn't pass off like, well, we'll just forget the whole thing and pretend like it never happened and we'll just try to wash it off. No, he, he said, this was the son of God himself. He said, this was, this was the same Jesus that those Jews crucified. This is the same Jesus that rose up out of the grave and he came me he came and gave me orders on what to do and how I was to preach. And King Agrippa, all I'm doing is exactly what he told me to do. He says in verse number 20, he showed, showed first unto, unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coast of Judea, then to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God and do the works meet for repentance. 
Now, we know that Paul was led by the hand to Damascus, and they carried him until Ananias came and, and anointed him, and, and he got his sight back. And we know the Scriptures tell us that he preached first there at Damascus. I mean, man, don't you know that that was a big deal to them? They know this guy's coming to kill them. They know what he's coming for. You know, Ananias even questioned God. Wait, God, wait, wait, what? You want me to go to whose house and do what for who? Have, have, have you heard about this guy? But you got to know when God gives you something to do, he knows exactly what it is, exactly where he's sending you, and exactly who he's sending you to. See, Ananias had no way of knowing what God's doing over here. Same true in our life. When God's given us something to do, we have no way of knowing what God's doing over here. But if God's sending us over there, you got to know God's doing something over there. Or he wouldn't be sending us. So, so Ananias, he, he goes and anoints him, and he, and, he, and he preaches there at Damascus. He preaches at, at Jerusalem. We know that he was baptized, that he, he identified himself with Christians. The same Christians that he went to kill, now he's publicly identifying himself as one of them. And, and so then he, he starts going and preaching to the Gentiles. God sends him out to the multitudes to preach to, honestly, the, the enemy of the Jews. So Paul delivered the gospel along with the repentance of sins. You know, we talked about that last week. Any presentation of the gospel that does not bring a person to the center of their sin is an, is an incorrect gospel. Anything that doesn't point out the sin, the, the, where we're born in sin and where we are in sin, the necessity for forgiveness of sin and repenting and turning from sin, Paul preaches the whole counsel of God. No message is complete without bringing a sinner to repentance. So Paul goes on and he, and he preaches about works. Paul talks a lot as he's teaching there, but, but he's not talking about works for salvation. Paul is very clear that we work because of our salvation. We're not trying to earn anything. We've already earned everything in our life that we can earn, and that's hell. Anybody ever said? We have already earned the only thing that we can earn in this life, and that is hell. We do not earn heaven. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It, it, is, it is the gift. So, so Paul, Paul makes it clear that it is salvation before works. It is doctrine before deeds. We don't do good deeds to get into heaven. We do good deeds because the Son of God lives in us. And, and we're supposed to let people see Christ in us and in Christ through us. So it is, it is belief before behavior. The behavior ought to change after we put our belief, after we put our trust in Christ. So faith first and then the fruit. Repentance is a change of the mind. Regeneration is a change of the heart. Redemption is a change of state. We are redeemed from hell and we are now the children of the living God. So Paul preaches the whole counsel of God to the whole world. When he goes, he's preaching to the Gentiles. He's not just to the Jew. So finally, finally, Paul answers the question that Festus has been wanting to know. He says, for these causes, the Jews caught me in the temple and went about to kill me. Festus has been wanting to know that since he first heard about what's going on. He's been wondering what all the fuss is all about. He's done talk to Agrippa. Agrippa wants to know what it's all about. So Paul systematically talks from where I was with the Jews. I was their, their blood hand guy. I was doing their work till I met Jesus, till I'm this guy. Now I'm preaching the gospel. And it is for that reason that they came and caught me in the temple and, and, and they wanted to kill me. There you have it. 
That's what it's all about. That's why these Jews want to get rid of me. It all started when, when Claudius Lysias, remember Claudius, the captain of the guard? He brought them in and they all came in. They truly came and rescued me from the mob that these Jews created. They had set out to kill me. And, and that is the reasons why. So, so now that, that Festus has the truth and, and the king Agrippa, he's here. He, he's got the same truth. Festus is faced with the situation of knowing that he has an innocent man on his hands. He has inherited this prisoner. It was a prisoner for more than two years. He had a chance to do something about it, but he didn't. He brushed it off because he's too busy trying to rub up against the Jews for his own benefit and trying to, to get something there. But, but he knows when, when he went and, and he talked to the Sanhedrin, he was more interested in gaining personal position than he was getting to the bottom of this matter with Paul. Even when Paul came up, his whole deal was, we'll use this to make myself look good. We'll, we'll use this to, we'll roast this guy, and, and that'll make me look good for the Jews. But Paul messed him up when he appealed to, to Caesar. Now, Agrippa, he, he has a better understanding of the situation. I mean, at this point, both of them know that the only thing against Paul right here is religious hatred. That, that's what it is from the Sanhedrin. He didn't do anything wrong. It is truly a, a religious hatred. Both, both, of them, both of them know it. But Agrippa, he, he's got a better understanding because he's of the Jews. So he knows the law and the prophet. He knows about the synagogue and the synagogue teaching. He knows uh, about the, the Jews' bitter hatred for the Gentile. Can't really talk about it right here since he's in a Gentile court with a Gentile governor parallel or higher up than he himself. Can't really talk about it. But he understands these Jews are only using the Gentiles, but, but they have no use for him. He has an understanding of, of the bitter hatred that, that the Jews would have had toward this man Paul, because not only did Paul default on their teaching, we looked at that last week, right? He, he defaulted on what they were teaching. They were teaching against Christ. Now, all of a sudden, he's accepted Christ. Not, not only did he cease to persecute Christians, but he publicly identified himself as a Christian. Not only did he walk away from the Sanhedrin council as, as a former rabbi, but now he's going all over the country and he's teaching about this man, Jesus. And to add insult to injury and rub a little salt in their wounds to, to make it the absolute worst that it could possibly be for the Sanhedrin. He didn't just defect over to the side of these Christians, but he's going and telling the Gentiles. He is offering the Gentiles the, the salvation of God. He, he's telling them that they have access to the same spiritual privileges as the Jews. How dare him? That would be the point of the Sanhedrin. So, I mean, you have an absolute hatred right here. And Agrippa would have no problem understanding where this level of hatred is coming from. It's obvious to him that, that Paul is completely innocent. He hasn't committed any crime. He's just teaching something contrary to what they want to be taught. And, and so for that reason that they hate him, it's clear that Festus has dropped the ball. He can clearly see that Paul should have been set free, and we'll see that in the statement a little bit, a little further on. But he, he, he can clearly see that Paul hasn't committed any crime, but Paul's not finished yet. He says in verse 22, having therefore obtained help of God, I continued unto this day, witnessing both to small and great, saying, none other things than those which the prophets and Moses did say should come. Paul's bringing it home to the scripture right now. He said, I haven't said anything contrary to the law and the prophets. 
I haven't said anything contrary to what Moses said and to what the prophet said. He said, I've not said one word that was not prophesied by the scriptures. I haven't brought in any new religion. I haven't taught any new laws. I haven't offered any new gospel. There's nothing that I cannot prove through the writings of the Old Testament. There's nothing that I cannot prove through the writings of Moses and the prophets, everything that I'm speaking is straight out of the word of God. It was prophesied before we got here. So, so Festus, you know, being a Roman and really he knows nothing about the Jews. He really doesn't know much about the Jewish religion or, or the Jewish custom. So he really doesn't know a lot about what Paul is talking about right here. But Agrippa does. Agrippa knows exactly what Paul is referring to. Paul, Paul has made known to, to all men that, that all hope and, and all scripture is fulfilled in one, Jesus Christ himself. Everything in the law and the prophet, everything that, that, you, that you Sadducees and Pharisees hold on to, everything that the Sanhedrin council stands for, everything that you preach to the people, came to pass. Everything that you prophesied that you're looking forward to came. Everything that you're holding on to for the hope of the glorious gospel that will one day show up, showed up and you killed him. He, he, he has easily proven that he was everything that, that you've been looking for. But he said, look, I met him on the road to Damascus. He stopped me dead in my tracks and Saul, why persecute me? He said, I asked him point blank, who art the Lord? He said, I am Jesus whom thou persecuted. I met the man. I met him on the other side of Calvary. I met him on the other side of the grave. I, I have met him. And so here's the deal. You know, we've talked about several times recently about <laughs> it's one thing to have heard about something. It's one thing for somebody else to share their testimony about something. It's one thing for somebody to tell you the things that they've seen or the things they've experienced. But it's a whole different thing when you've experienced it. Paul said, I lived it. Gentile prisons aren't going to stop me from preaching. These chains aren't going to stop me from preaching. Your, your, your Roman authority is not going to stop me from preaching. Carrying me to Rome as a prisoner is not going to stop me from preaching. Even Caesar is not going to stop me from preaching. As a matter of fact, the only thing that's going to stop me from preaching the gospel is to take the life out of these lungs. But Paul, we talked about it last week. He don't have to worry about that yet. Because Jesus said, as you preach at Jerusalem, so shall you preach at Rome. So he can say whatever he wants to them. They couldn't kill him if they had to. There's not anything made that could kill Paul because God says, I'm going to send you to Rome. And he says, nothing is going to stop these lips from speaking about Jesus Christ. In verse 23, it says that Christ should suffer and that he should be the first that should rise from the dead and should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. No Jew could deny, no Jew that knows the scriptures, and most of them did, especially this Sanhedrin bunch that's visible here in this courtroom, none of them can deny that the Messiah would suffer. None of them can deny that the Christ is going to suffer. It is the theme of Psalm 22. It is the theme of Isaiah 53. They, they cannot look at the scripture and not know that the Messiah is going to suffer. How could they miss it? It's clearly written right before them. Psalm 16:10. It's the theme. Christ is going to suffer. So, so the fact that the Messiah came to bring the, the light to, to the Gentiles, that's a theme throughout Isaiah. It, it's a theme throughout Hosea that he was going to come and bring a light to the world. 
He wasn't coming just to be king of the Jews. He did, and they rejected him. But it was necessary, right? Somebody say amen. Because Jesus said, I have other sheep which I got to go get. So, so Jesus came to, to be the light of the world. He says in verse 24, he spake for himself. Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself. Much learning doth make thee mad. Festus couldn't take it anymore. I mean, I told you, he don't, he don't know what Agrippa knows. He don't know what these Jews know. He doesn't know the scripture. He doesn't, he doesn't know the, the, the story. And so he, the only thing, when he's talking about somebody coming back from the dead, man, what a ridiculous idea. For him, when, when a man's dead, he, he, he's gone. And the only conclusion he can come up with is this man's crazy. He, he's not a criminal. He's not guilty of any crimes, but he's a nut. That, that, that's, that's what he said. This, this, this guy is mad. He's thinking, whatever it was that you experienced on the road to Damascus, man, you should have took a cold drink of water. You had some kind of heat exhaustion. You, you had a heat stroke. Something happened. Messed you up. But here's the deal. Everybody there heard the gospel. Remember we talked about it last week? All the dignitaries were there. Everybody's dressed up in their best garb. They got on their finest clothes, all their jewelry. Everybody from the town, anybody, not just a who's who, but all the townspeople there. This entire thing was put together for nothing. There was no way they could find him guilty, and there was no way they could find him innocent because he's already appealed to Caesar. So it's absolutely pointless to have this except that God put everybody all of them in one place that his most beloved spokesman, Paul, could speak the gospel to everybody there in that town. Every dignitary, everybody with money, everybody that was broke, everybody well-dressed, everybody had on whatever they could afford. Paul preached the gospel to everybody, and Festus is the first one to speak out to wholeheartedly reject the gospel. What he heard was the truth. What he heard was the gospel. And what Festus says is, you're a nut. Anybody ever told you that? All, 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 he, all he did was told him. And, and in verse 25, once again, you see him giving respect to the position. He says, I'm not mad, most noble Festus. But speak forth the words of truth and soberness. The, the fact that, that Paul is the only one present here with a clear picture of what really happened. Paul's the only one here that's not a little bit crazy. Paul's the only one here that, that is focused on, on the absolute truth. Paul is the only one here that has met Jesus Christ on the other side of Calvary. Now, you got to understand, some of these down here in the Sanhedrin, they probably met Jesus on the other side of Calvary. Remember, we're only 25, a little more than 25 years past the cross. So a lot of this Sanhedrin council, they probably saw Jesus before Calvary. A lot of these guys down here in Sanhedrin, they were probably at Calvary. But they ain't seen him since Calvary. They've heard about him. They've heard about him from all the people, the group of more than 400 plus the disciples and all the ones that he showed himself to multiple times. But, but they, they've not seen him again. Paul is the only one here that sees him. So, so, so Festus, he, he's at a disadvantage altogether with, with his limited knowledge, you know, sometimes you're, you're better off when you're witnessing somebody if they haven't been to church. 
Sometimes you're better off witnessing to somebody if they haven't been there, done that, bought the T-shirt. Because they don't want to hear it. I went to Sunday school, heard it my whole life, save it. You knock yourself out. Sunday school as a boy ain't going to make hell any cooler. If you went to Sunday school, then you got to understand the importance of the blood. You got to know salvation. But y'all know what I'm talking about. Sometimes it's easier to just find somebody that's lost and looking for something than to try to witness to the one that grew up in church, been there, done that, and they're out there living for the world. And you try to tell them the truth. Didn't really work out that way for Festus. He doesn't know about the illegal trial of Jesus. He doesn't know about the, the illegal crucifixion. He doesn't know about the Joseph of Arimathea. He doesn't know that he was buried in the tomb of one of the wealthiest, most influential Jews of, of the day. He, he doesn't know a lot of this stuff. And he doesn't know about the resurrection. See, the, these are the facts. The, the, these are the facts. And, and the Jews that, that are present there, they, they've done their best unsuccessfully to suppress the message of Jesus Christ. They've done all that they can to silence anybody who would talk about this man that, that they can't stand. Now, Agrippa, he doesn't say that he thinks Paul's crazy. But one thing that he does know, he knows that what Paul says is the truth. So Paul is looking at Festus and he points to Agrippa. And he says, the king knoweth of these things before whom also I speak freely. He says, I'm not keeping this a secret. The king knows what I'm talking about. And, and I'm standing right here in front of him. And I'm talking in secret. I'm speaking right here. The king knows exactly what I'm talking about. I speak freely. For I'm persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him. But this thing was not done in a corner. This is, this is Jewish knowledge. I mean, King Agrippa, he's going to know all this stuff. Now Paul turns to Agrippa and he says, King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? He says, I know that thou believest. Paul says your actions don't show it. The way you're living ain't showing it. The way you're carrying yourself may not show it. But I know that you know, don't you, sir? I know that you know the scriptures. I know that you know what I'm talking about in the Old Testament. See, that, that's one thing you can tell the one who's been to Sunday school. You, if you grew up and you've been to Sunday school, then you know what I'm telling you is true. You know hell is real. You know sin is separation from God. So you know what you know. Why would you reject it so much? See, that's kind of where Festus is. So you got one man right here. He knows nothing about God. He, he really knows nothing about the Jews and the belief and the scriptures. He knows nothing. But that's not where Agrippa's at. See, Festus has already rejected the gospel, come and know nothing. But he turns king and he says, you know it. You know it, don't you, sir? And, and then Agrippa, we, we glanced ahead at it a little bit as we closed last week. He said unto Paul, almost. What he says is, yeah, I, I do know the, the scriptures. I, I do know the Old Testament prophets. I, I do know about the law and the prophets and, and the law of Moses. I, I do know that stuff and and, and this man, Jesus, you're talking about, I kind of get what you're saying. I, I see how he fits the bill. Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. He almost made it to heaven and went completely to hell. So you got these, these two men right here that are, that are totally different, but they end up the same. One of them didn't know anything, and he solely rejected the gospel. The other one knew what Paul was talking about, so they came in from two different perspectives. But both of them denied the gospel. Because to almost be saved is completely lost, right? 
So, so Festus, he's already denied the gospel. Then it becomes Agrippa's turn, and he says, almost. There's nothing in the scripture that gives us any indication that the Holy Spirit ever calls him again. That the Holy Spirit ever visits. Now, now there, there's, there's not a doubt in my mind that he believed the scriptures. But I think it's just like people today. It's not that people don't believe. It's just they've already got their minds made up that they're not willing to change the way they're living. The devil's got them so hooked in. Hey, I want to have fun with my life. Well, glory to God. Get the blood of Jesus on you where you don't have to go to bed dying, worrying about dying and going to hell. And you can have a good time. You think what you're doing on Friday night is a good time. Then why do you puke all night Friday night and wake up feeling so bad on Saturday? You call that a good time? We did. Of such for some of you. But, but <clears throat> well, that's all free. But there, there, there's, there's no doubt. That, that I believe, just like a lot of people, I believe Agrippa did. But, but he's just like people today that they've, they've heard the gospel, but they've never received the gospel. They've heard the truth, but they've never received the, the truth. When the invitation is given, what you see of both men is, is they closed the door on eternity. And they both chose to go to hell. Same hell. Didn't matter what their knowledge was or wasn't. They were presented with the gospel and an opportunity to know Christ, and both of them rejected the offer. So, so Agrippa, you know, here he is. He, he don't want to give up his status quo to, to the Jewish community. He wanted to keep what he had. Just same true still, again, in today's world. They, they want to hang on to stuff. They, they want to hang on to, to things. They want to hang on to the sin, that the things is there. They, they're just not willing to let go of, of worldly things so that they can gain heavenly things. I wrote this down. They refuse to let go of what they can't keep in order to gain what they can't lose. They think what they have is so important, but they can't take it with them. But there's something waiting for them that if they just let go of this junk and grab a hold to it, they could never lose it. Verse 29, Paul said, I would to God that not only thou, but also all that hear me this day we're both almost and all together such as I am except these bonds. Paul, Paul says, it is my earnest prayer, my heart's desire that everybody that hears my voice would come to Jesus. So Paul's turning his attention here from the who's who. Paul, Paul, Paul talked to Festus. He said, you're a nut. So he talked to Festus about Agrippa. And then he turned to Agrippa and he says, you know, don't you? And Agrippa says, almost. So Paul says, is there anybody? Is there anybody? I, I would to God that all of you, except for these chains, I would to God that, that all of you would come to Jesus Christ. These, these two men have made their choice, but they can't make yours. These two royalties, they've made their choice, but they can't make yours good or bad. Is there anybody? Verse number 30, when he had thus spoken, the king rose up, the governor and Bernice, and they that sat with them. Man, what a shame. What a shame. The meeting is over. Nobody is recorded as being saved. Nobody is recorded as being added to the church. No, no conclusions are made as to what they're going to do with Paul yet. All they know is that he's innocent. And, and Festus still has the same problem. I got to send him to Rome and, and appeal him before Caesar. And I don't even have anything to accuse him of. I don't even have a crime. I have a criminal. I have a Roman citizen that, that, that I'm holding for nothing. So Festus has made his choice. Agrippa's made his choice. Bernice, she got up, went with him. She, she's made her choice. She's too caught up in the luxuries of the world. She's too caught up. She, she's not going to lose all of her luxury and all of her benefits of society. So, so one by one, what you see is the rich get 
up, the powerful get up, the influential get up, and then all around the room, everybody begins to get up. And there's not one word about anybody being saved. Man, what a sad spot in the gospel. What a, what a sad spot in one of the greatest books in the Bible. Verse 31, when they were gone aside, they talked between themselves saying, this man does nothing worthy of death or bonds. And then here's Agrippa's answer to it all. He said to Festus, this man might have been set at liberty if he had not appealed to Caesar. Agrippa says, ain't nothing to hold him for. He, he, he doesn't try to overrule Festus and say, you'd have to set him free. But he clearly insinuates you don't have anything to hold him for. Y'all remember, that's why Festus wanted Agrippa to hear it in the first place, right? He wanted to help him find a charge against him. He wanted Agrippa to help him find some kind of crime against him. And he says, it looks like to me that God would probably be set free if he, if he hadn't have already appealed to Caesar. So, so here, here's, here's the difference in the way we look at things and the way God looks at things. Here's the way we look at things. Prison for more than two years. What a wasted two years of life. Well, man, he could have been out preaching here and preaching there and preaching over yonder. What a wasted two years of life. It took two years for God to bring all of this council together. Every one of them at the great white throne have no excuse. Every one of them, when death and hell is cast into the lake of fire, will stand there with no excuse. They heard the gospel. God made that happen. Two years of prison to bring it together, to bring even Festus in, and, and to bring it there that, that the gospel is preached. So when we look at it with our eyes, Two years of life wasted, and now you're going to waste some more life. You're going to put me on ships and go from place to place, and you're going to carry me to try to get me to Rome. Yet God had it planned that way from the beginning. God said, before you go to Jerusalem, let me let you know some bad things are going to happen. You're going to be bound at Jerusalem. But don't worry about that. Because just like you preached at Jerusalem, you're going to preach also at Rome. He's not just going to preach at Jerusalem and at Rome, but he preaches to every prisoner in between them. He preaches on every ship. He preaches to every guard. He preaches to everybody there. So, so God uses him ways that, that just don't make sense to the human mind. Why did you need to lock him up to use him? Well, I don't know that he needed to. I just know that he did. I know that was God's way. And, and I know that sometimes God's way don't make sense. Somebody on a Wednesday night has enough holiness to go ahead and amen that. You don't have to let me stand in that by myself. Sometimes God's way just don't make sense to me. I'm fixing to preach till 9 o'clock if somebody don't amen that loud enough for me to hear it. Thank you. Y'all didn't want me preaching no more. I see y'all ready for me to be done. Sometimes God's way don't make sense. But it's always right. We're not always going to understand it. <laughs> I, can, I can list a few of them right now, can't we? <laughs> I can list a few things right now that I don't understand why God don't just kill some people. She knows exactly. How you, you read my mind or something? Telepathic. I just have to know that God knows what he's doing. And I have to know when it's all said and done, God may give him, he may be doing, letting somebody... You know, we talked about for Christians, you go through stuff sometimes for somebody else's benefit. The things you go through is for somebody else to see. But if they see Christ in you and you walk through it, it can change things. So, so I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe 
some of the people that we love and care about so much are going through some stuff because God is trying to do something in somebody else's life. Here's what I know. If God is allowing it, it has a purpose. And we just have to trust him. Well, that gets to the end of the trial and I'm out of time. And we start on a journey towards Rome. So Lord willing, we'll, we'll pick up right there next week. God, thank you so much for being so good. Thank you for this book, God. Thank you, Father. For our hope, our trust in you, God, knowing that, that you work all things together for our good. All things aren't good. Some things hurt, some things sting, some, some things taste bitter. But yet, God, you, you've got a plan. You've got a plan, God. Give us the strength to trust you, God. Give us the, the power, the wisdom, Lord. You said if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God to give it to all men liberally and upbraid if not. Well, we lack wisdom, God. I pray you give us wisdom. Help us to understand Help us, Father, that our light shines bright in the dark, that people see Christ in us and Christ through us in everything that we do, that on the darkest night of our life, our light would shine the brightest. God, help us, Father, to be pleasing to you in everything we do. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.